Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Good morning. Sorry, a little bit of setup there. It is good to be with you this morning. Uh, we've been going through the book of John and uh, for a number of weeks now. I'll keep speaking and see if we can get this settled. Uh, and we've learned um, that this is a book about fellowship. Okay, right in the very few, first few verses, uh, we saw that this is about fellowship with the father and his son and uh, those of us, the believers. Okay, so I just want to say it's very fitting for my wife, Sarita, and, and for me um, to be talking about fellowship because we're new here at uh, Harvest KL, and uh, we uh, have been invited into this fellowship, and we're, we're super excited to be here. Um, Your warm, loving welcome. We got to go to the uh, uh, small group kickoff last Wednesday, and we got to meet more people there, and so being part of your fellowship has been a wonderful thing. Um, and we are grateful for that. But I must say that um, I know that I'm really part of this fellowship because of uh, this verse that, that I found. It's, you may not know this one, but it's in the book of Crane. And so we can see this here. And so in 5.3, in the book of Crane, Michael Crane here, it says, but Michael demonstrated his own love for Troy and that while Troy was yet a newcomer to the fellowship, he gave him the hardest passage in the Bible to preach. Okay, so we're going into some heavy waters today, okay? So you better be prepared, okay? Um, now you do know there is no book of cranes, so just for the record. Now, I also did some studying on KL Harvest, and I know your theme, you know, you're loved and you're sent. And I know I am loved. I feel loved here. But I do have a concern that after this sermon, this difficult passage, you may recommend that I be sent out to find another church. So, you know, I just got to be careful there. But in all seriousness, I do joke. And you're not going to get rid of me so easily. You've already welcomed me in. So you're going to have to uh, uh, bear with me here. But so to begin, I want to actually review. Okay. And to review first, John, since the whole book is actually difficult is we need to first look at John himself. Who is teaching us? Who is writing to us? Who is speaking to us? This is the disciple, okay? The last of the 12 to die, the elder, the wise one, the one that was you know, beloved by Jesus, the one that when Jesus died on the cross said, take care of Mary. He's the elder, the wise one. Okay, so we're not looking at Paul. We're not looking at Romans. We're not looking at Ephesians. And so when I say, Let's review. I'm not going to outline chapter one and then outline chapter two and say, here we are. You can't do that with John. Okay, John likes to give these big themes and John can be difficult. And one of his favorite themes is light and darkness. And that's what we're seeing in first John. But I want to go back to the gospel of John and show you where he even presents it there. So you look here right after the famous verse, John 3, 16, okay, a few verses later in, in uh, 19. Yeah. It says, and this is the judgment. Okay. The light has come into going. the world, and people love well, the darkness rather than the light. Yeah. So the light is obviously Jesus. He came into the world. But 
people love the okay. darkness rather than than loving okay. Jesus. Mom, listen. Why? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. Does not come to light. Lest his works should be exposed. Audio. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Not going to explain this. We're going to return to this at the very end of the sermon. What I want you to see is that John loves this theme of light. And okay. I want you to take the phone. Very antithetical. Meaning he gives polar opposites, diametrically opposed, huge contrasts with like no gray in the middle. And he speaks like this, and it can be very difficult. Okay, so you got to know that this is what he does. He does it, John. He does it. First John, he does it in other books as well. And so we're dealing with audio. And so we and need say, yeah. to have that as a background. Now, if we review up till now, one way to do it is, okay, look at light and look at darkness. So in the first three verses, we know it's about fellowship. By the fifth verse, we know that he's talking about light and darkness, and he wants to drive this theme home. And so it says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, who's in the light? Well, we can go and we can see. God's in the light. The Father, the Son, Jesus our advocate, the Christ. I mean, we've already seen all of these so far, okay? We see the word of life. We see eternal life. We see truth, his word. We see love. We see fellowship. And though sin does not exist in the light, there is a special category of sin, the blood cleanse paid for and forgiven sins. When we were brought from the darkness into the light, our sins were taken care of. And then just in the previous verses that we saw last week, there's the anointing, which is the reference to the Holy Spirit. Now, then there's the darkness side. And what is that? That's the evil one, okay? The world, the Antichrist, but then also many Antichrists. They were those who in chapter two who went out from us. They left our fellowship. They were the false teachers that we were looking at. There's lies and deception and hate and stumbling. There's blindness. And there's love, but it's of the world and the things that are in the world. And there's lust, like Lee said last week, lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes. And there's pride. And there's the denial of the Father and the Son. So this is the review, is what is John doing? He throws out so much. And when you look at John, you can't even grasp all that this person who knew Jesus so well, who was the last one to die, who lived this long age. I mean, he knew this stuff, and it is hard for us to understand him at times. But he paints these pictures that are so deep. We try and we try to get into the depths and understand what he's saying. And so this brings us to where we start. So we're now in, in chapter 2, verse 28. And so what does John say? He says, now little children abide in him. So I told you his theme of fellowship. He likes light and darkness. He likes all these things. I got to give you one more. He loves the word abide. Okay, the Greek word is meno, and it just means to stay or to abide or to remain in. All right, and he loves this word a lot. We're not going to go look at it all, but 40 times he uses it in his gospel, okay? 23, 23 times he's going to use it in 1 John, and whether you know it or not, he's already used it 10 times before this verse, okay? We're going to kind of go back and look at some of that. So if we combine some of his themes, he's saying, remain in the light, abide in the light, abide in him, remain in him, remain in God, remain in the fellowship of the believers, the fellowship that he talked about in the first few verses, and all this is in contrast to those antichrists, those false teachers, okay, that we saw in chapter two. Because what John's doing in the whole book here is he's doing two things, I mean, among many, but he is trying to 
explain to them this terrible, confusing situation they were in when they had these false teachers. Okay, they were confused. The false teachers were trying to deceive them. And they were confused. Are we in the light? Are we out of it? Are they right? Or are we right? And they were getting confused. And so John writes his book to let them know and to encourage them and let them know that they are in the light and that those false teachers went out from us and they were not, and they were the false ones. But at the same time, he's giving all these instructions of how to live in fellowship, live in the light, abide in the light, walk with Christ. And so he's, he's comforting them and then yet encouraging them, admonishing them and urging them you know, to continue in that light. In 2.19, it said, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. Same word. We probably just glossed over it. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. So, so far up in 1 John, we see that some people remain in darkness and some people remain in light. Some people abide in darkness and some people abide in light. Now, uh, we will go on and we will see that he says, so that, okay, so why should we abide in him? Lots and lots of reasons, but the one here, so that when he appears, we may have confidence, okay? And what should we not have? We should not have shame and we should not shrink away from him in fear, okay? If we abide, he says, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame, at his coming. And so this is just going back up to his appearing. What is his appearing of him? Well, his second coming. We already saw in John chapter three, he came once. We know that he's going to come again. And when he comes, he wants us to have confidence. Now, when I read this, I want to ask you guys, what picture do you get? What chapter in the Bible do you think of where human beings had sinned and they felt shame and they went and hid from God when he appeared to them? Someone's got to yell it out. Going to make you interact. Anybody know? Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3. That's not what we want. We don't want to shrink away from God. They've been walking with God in the evenings, in the cool of the breeze. They lost that. They shrunk away in shame and fear of God. And he's saying, I want you to have confidence when he comes. And so this is going to be kind of a theme that we continue on with here. Now, I'm just going to kind of put up these little blue uh, little reminders. The title of the sermon is See, Know, and Abide. And so I just want to keep reminding you of, the, of this theme of see, know, and abide. We move on to the next verse, okay? And it says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. So what do we know? God is righteous. God is in the light category. And he says, those who practice righteousness are basically related to him. And he's saying, if you see righteousness, okay, then you see what's behind it, and it's the Father, okay? Now, this is kind of like James, since I'm, you know, just so excited to have some of the most difficult verses, I'll just bring another crazy difficult verse in. James is hard to understand. And what does James say? He says, you show me your faith, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, some of us freak out when we read this. We're like, oh, no, what's going on? But what's he saying? If you look at my works... I want you to see the faith that's behind it. And when, for those people there um, that John's writing to, he's saying, when you see the righteous acts, you see the righteous father behind it. When you look at the light side, you will see righteousness, 
and it's the righteous father, the righteous God that's behind it. Just like James said, when you see my works, you see a proof of that faith that's behind there. Now, he goes on, he says that righteousness equals being born of him. Now, when we hear the term like born of or birthed of, you know, we think birth from, we think of the mother. Okay, rightly so. Who are you birthed from? Well, what I want you to see here is, yes, we're going to be talking about being born of him. We're going to be talking about children. We're going to see several verses that are all grouped together based on this theme that we're God's children. Okay, but really what I want you to see is that really the emphasis here is that we are fathered by him. Okay, there's a difference here. All right, and we're going to see that later in the book, in chapter five, he talks about fathering. We're going to see here soon in verse three, verse nine, that it actually says that God's seed abides in us. I don't know what the Greek word for seed is? Sperma. Enough said. Don't even have to explain that one. His very nature is in us. His seed is in us. Okay, we were fathered by him. They're like, who's the father? He's the father. He fathered us. He created us. And again, when we start talking about creation, what do we think of? We go back to Genesis 1, when he created man and woman. All right. Well, this is the new birth. This is the new creation that we have. And he fathered us. So we go on and we look and it says, see how great a love the father has bestowed on us. How did he father us? He fathered us in love, by love, in love, for love, to a family of love. It's, that's how he did this. Okay. Sarita and I have three kids. They're a bit older, but we thought about those kids before they're ever born. We thought about them before they may have been conceived. Okay, it was something that we longed for, that we wanted, that we wanted to love, that we wanted to, bad analogy when you do humans with God, but create, okay? Unfortunately, they got created in our image and not God's image. But the analogy is there that that longing that was there, that thinking that was there, and we created them in love for a family of love. Have you ever pondered how much God thought about you before you came from the darkness to the light? How he longed for the day that you would come, that you'd move from darkness to light, and that he would be your father, that he would create you in this new birth, that he would father you, and that you would get to exist in the light. And he did it how? Out of love. By love, in love, for love, so you could be here in a loving fellowship. So see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us? That we should be called children of God, and such we are. He's like, it's not just that you're called children. He's like, children we are. And we're getting to another theme here to help us understand the difficult verses. It's about identity. Okay, who are we? We are identified with the Father. He fathered us. We have his seed, his nature in us. He is our identity, okay? And so children, we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Logically, it makes sense. It says Jesus came into the world and he was a light and he was rejected. Well, guess what? The world rejected the father, okay? So if they don't know the father, how are they gonna know the children? It's that simple. Following our theme, how is the world have if they reject fellowship with the father and the son they're going to reject fellowship with us and that's exactly what happened with these false prophets they went out from us and these these listeners these readers here were confused about this but he's making it clear he's like it's real simple 
they've rejected God, they will reject you. We move on. He says, beloved. And I put the little exclamation marks there. You can see my little, my little blue sketches to help us get through these passages. He's reemphasizing the same thing. Loved, okay. And he says it again. Now we are children of God. So he just wants to reemphasize this because this is what he's trying to let us know. That we are fathered by him. We, are, we identify with our father on this light side. It has not appeared as yet what we will be. So now, got an arrow going up because this kind of harkens back to 228. It says that when he appears, what are we supposed to have? Confidence, right? When he appears. Now, but it says it has not appeared as, you, as yet what we will be. So it's a little different. It's now about us, okay? This appearing is something different. It's not yet been revealed, you know, what's, what's going to happen to us? So as children of the Father, what are we going to look like when we are fully mature. What are we going to look like when you can say we've grown up in righteousness in the Father as his child? So it has not appeared yet as what we will be. But we know, so for all that we don't know, guess what we do know? We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. The key to being like Jesus is to see him and to see him clearly. And one day when he returns and he comes back, we are going to see him clearly. Okay, we're going to see him exactly as he is. And at that moment, that's when we will be like him. That's when we will be the fully mature child of God that God had intended us to be. Now, I could leave it at that and that's pretty, pretty good but I want to say that there's even more there that's even better. So on here, and again, I don't want to get too technical here, but it says he appears. And this is the way this, uh, this, uh, verse, this version goes. But I just want you to know that it's a legitimate translation that we could read this as we know that when it appears, okay? Because what it, the verb does is it just goes back into the context and looks to see who the subject is. So the appearing sounds like it should be Jesus. And that's accurate. This is in the context of him reappearing. But right before it, it says, it has not appeared as yet what we will be. It has not appeared. And if we say, well, the closest antecedent is it, we know that when it appears, what is it? It is this mysterious, amazing glorification, perfection, sinless state that we could achieve. And we don't know about it. We think we kind of know about it. Oh, it's going to be great. There'll be no sin. There'll be no sorrow. There'll be no tears. But I'm letting you know, we have no clue how great it will be. It's a mystery of how great it will be. So it has not appeared as yet what will be, but we know that when it appears, when what we actually become, okay, we know that we're going to be like him. But even in that, we still don't know why, because we really don't know what he's like. We know partially what he's like, but we've never seen him fully. We've never seen him face to face. There is so much more of Jesus that we have yet to behold. So what I want in this theme to be thinking of God as our father and his identity, I want to bring up this concept of position and condition. Okay, so positionally, we are perfect in Christ. We tell us you're justified, you're sanctified. And in some 
crazy sense that we can't comprehend, we're glorified. There's all these things that, that God says is just sure as can be, okay? But then there's other verses where then Paul says, work out your salvation. So we have this position reserved for us in the heavenlies, this it that we don't even know how amazing it's going to be, but yet we're here on earth and we have this condition, okay? And we long for the day that our condition will match this position. And how does God look at us all the time? He looks at us with that position. He looks at us and he sees us in beauty and perfection and all that we will be because he is our father and his seed is in us and we will be like him. But we're stuck here in what we call another tough, tough thing to, to grasp, the already, but not yet. It's already happened in some ways and we read the verses, but then we read other verses and we know it hasn't happened. And because we wake up and we sin, we know it hasn't happened. But so here it is that we get to long for what is ahead, long for what we get to become. And I want to share another verse with you. Okay, 2 Corinthians 3.18. So this will help explain it even better. So Paul's speaking, and he says, but we all with unveiled face, the veil has been ripped up away from our eyes. We've moved from darkness into light. We can see, we can see, but what we learn is we don't see perfectly. We don't see clearly enough, okay? And so what does it say? Beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. So think of Jesus there. We want to see him face to face one day and be just like him, but we see him through the reflection of a mirror. And this is a first century mirror, okay? Think of reflection in a water. Think of some kind of metal that was shined and, and polished so much you could see the reflection. It's not a perfect reflection. But yet even in the imperfect view of Jesus we have right now, we look at him and what does it say? We're, we look in a mirror, the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, from one degree of glory to the next degree, just as from the Lord, the spirit. And so what is this life down on earth? It's, it's about looking at Jesus, seeing Jesus the best we can. And this mysterious transformation happens. We become more like him. And then one day, we don't get to just see him through a reflection. We're not looking at this. We get to look at him face to face. And that's when this amazing hit will happen. When we will be just like him in a state that we don't even yet comprehend or know. So, and everyone who has this hope, and this is an amazing hope. I mean, to have this, the world does not have this. This is what we get to live for. This is what we get to look forward to. And this hope is obviously fixed on him, on Jesus. But those who have this hope fixed on him purify themselves just as he is pure. And what is he saying here? Well, if you look at purity, you're going to become pure. If you look at love, you're going to become lovely and loving. If you look at mercy, you're going to become merciful. If you look at righteousness, you're going to become righteous. And this is the theme that's going to help us with these difficult verses of just seeing Jesus for who he is and being transformed into his image. So now, I hate to say it, but now I got to go to the bad news side. Okay, we had a lot of fun in the light, and that was exciting. And I, I just get, you know, thrilled about what I will be one day, what you will be one day. But now... We have to go to the darkness side, the darkness theme. It's part of there. He says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And lawlessness can be translated wickedness. But so we have the dark side now, sin and lawlessness and wickedness over here. 
And he's speaking truth, but he's also alluding to those false prophets, those that went out from among us. And he says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. And so we know that he appeared first. We've already kind of gone over that. We know that his job was to take away sins. And then what's key here is that in the light side, in him, there is no sin. No sin in him, in this light side. And now we get to the difficult verses. Okay, I've got them marked in red here. And now John tells us, no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him. Or no one who sins knows him. So I just got all excited about this, about my whole future of becoming like Christ. And then John tells me, no one abides in sins. But I'm like, but I sin. Do I not know Christ? Am I not going to see him? Do I not abide in him? This is a really difficult verse. And believe me, I'm not you know, prepared to talk about this in its depths, but this is tough, okay? And you're like, well, what's he saying here? Now, I think we have reasons, reasonable ways to understand it, but it's difficult. And we don't want to run away from the difficulties uh, that he presents us. And so he's saying no one who abides in him sins. Well, there's a couple ways that this can be looked at. The first is, we talk about continual or habitual sin. All right, and so some versions will translate this, no one who abides in him sins continually or habitually. No one who sins continually or habitually has seen him or knows him. Well, I wanted to let you know that I fundamentally disagree with this because this takes us backwards. This takes us back to legalism. This takes us back to the dark side. This takes us back to focusing on who? Me and my sin. Okay, so I can't fully explain this. This is mysterious to us when we talk about these positions and this identity, okay? But continually sinning, I think, takes us backwards. So what if I say, okay, you're in the darkness, you move to the light, all you got to do is make sure you don't habitually sin. You don't continually sin. What kind of burden have I placed on you? You're going to be like, well, can I sin once a year? Can I sin once a month? Can I sin once a week? Can I sin once a day? Well, what if, am I allowed to do this sin once a week and this sin once a week? Or do I have to do this sin once a week and I got to wait a whole week before I do that sin? It just takes us backwards. And what a burden we have on us to look at ourselves and be consumed with ourselves and be consumed with our sin when we are to be looking at Jesus. So what's the alternative? I believe that it's about fatherhood. It's about identity. It's mysterious, and I can't explain it all, but it's about our position. It's who God already sees us as, and it's about this light category where we know that there is no sin there. There is no sin in God. There is no sin in Jesus, and when we're in that category, it's as though we have no sin. That's our identity, and so then when we look at sin, we don't look at it as, oh my gosh, did I do too much or too little or whatever? No. We look at it as completely foreign to us. We're like, I'm over here now. I'm a child of God, and that is not a part of me. Now, I got to wake up every day and deal with the fact that I still sin, but I see it as something foreign to me. And so what do I do? I confess it. And even though it's already been forgiven, I confess it. And we say that the blood washed, paid for, forgiven sins exist in the light because Jesus is taking care of those. And so it's more of an identity of I'm on the sinless side. And when I sin, we need to look at our sin. It's just, this is crazy. I shouldn't be doing this. This is wicked. This is of 
the other father, the devil. And so the way we look at sin is that, no, this should not be part of my life. And when we do sin, we confess it and we restore the relationship on the, on the light side. Now, some further support to uh, how I think we can think about this is I'll read some verses, okay? But one on the other side, Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter three, and he says, oh, you foolish Galatians, how in the world do you think you can start in the spirit and continue on and be perfected in the flesh? Okay, it was going backwards. That's what I think the habitual way is. But on the other side, in Galatians 2, what does Paul say? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. There's a way that even Paul talks about sometimes that it's not even me living. Okay, when you're on the light side, it's all Christ. All right, and later, three chapters later in Galatians 5, he talks about this battle between the flesh and the spirit. And then in Romans 7, it's a similar thing he says, and he says, but if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now, Paul's not abdicating his responsibility of sin, but there's this, this one perspective that's hard to understand where you're like, this is not of me. This is not part of me. This is not being a child of God. This is not my identity. It's foreign to me. And when it happens, I want to take care of it quickly. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he says, but I labored even more than all of them. I labored, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Was it him or was it grace? So we see that even Paul uses these imagery and these themes um, that are kind of difficult to, to understand. And then we talk about John having known Jesus so well. Well, where do you think John learned this stuff? In Matthew 7, starting in verse 15, this is what Jesus says. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, and the bad tree bears bad fruit. So he's saying there's the light side, the darkest side, there's the good tree, the bad tree. You look at the fruit, and you know which side they're on. But then even Jesus says something really tough. He says, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. Once again, I throw up my hands. Why do you say that? A good tree cannot produce bad fruit? He goes on and says, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So even Jesus said some really difficult things. But what does he end with? He says, I never knew you. And again, I cannot explain this all probably to your fullest desire. This is hard, but it's about this relationship. It's about father and child. It's about our relationship with Jesus. Okay, that's what he says. I never knew you. You can claim all kinds of things. And that's what these false prophets were doing. And I want you to see when Jesus said this, the first verses, words are beware of the false prophets. He's saying this in the context of false prophets, just like it's the context in John of false prophets. Okay, and so he's trying to be really clear um, about these things. So we move on. And uh, I'll go through this more quickly. Uh, but this is now a summary. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. Again, we see the context here. He doesn't want them to be deceived, okay? And that was with those, these uh, antichrists, the many who went out, the false prophets. 
I mean, the false uh, teachers, sorry, I've been saying prophets. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. We've already seen that and learned that, just as he is righteous. We saw that with the father. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. We got the darkness side, and we know it. The son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. We've already seen that. He came to take away sin. But now we get another difficult verse. He says, no one who is born of God or fathered of God by God practices sin because his seed abides in him. This is the verse I was talking about. God's seed is with it. He is our father. We have his nature. We are identified completely with him. And he cannot sin, tough words, because he is born of God or fathered by God. So again, how do we take that? Just like we did those other red verses that I made, that I showed, they're difficult. And he goes on, he says, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Okay, so he's wanting to know, how do you know who's in the darkness? How do you know who's in the light? And he says, anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. So what does he do? He goes on the positive side. He doesn't say anyone who has some sin is not of God. He just says, anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. And so I want to be clear that on the light side, the same effect happens, okay? We don't want habitual sin. We don't want continual sin, but it's more of how do we get there? And it's about being focused on Jesus. And as we focus on him and we become more like him, our righteousness increases and the sin decreases, okay? It's, it's not that we want sin, okay? And we're not condoning it because that's exactly what the false uh, teachers were saying that sin can exist there. And we're saying, no, it cannot exist there. That's why it's, it's so black and white. And then he goes on and says, nor the one who does not love his brother. That's actually less of a summary of what he said and more of a link to what's gonna follow next week because he's gonna now get into love. So this is the passage, some difficult verses in there, but I hope you see you know, this concept of identity and this concept there's light and there's darkness. There's God himself and there's the devil. And there's these representations in which side we're on and how we're to live. So I said we would come back to, to uh, John chapter three. And I come back here just to support my argument. So he says, and this is the judgment. The light is coming into the world. Jesus came into the world the first time. We already know he came to take away sins. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And people love the darkness rather than the light. So who did they choose? They chose darkness rather than him, okay? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, okay? And does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. That's what the light does. It exposes the sin. Now, you would think then logically, he's now the next uh, sentence there. He's gonna talk about coming into the light. So you would think, oh, what's it gonna say? Some people from the darkness, they came into the light, all their sins were exposed, okay? And they had to deal with those sins and they had to make sure they weren't habitual or continual and the focus was on getting rid of those sins. No, he doesn't say that at all. He goes straight to, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Just like the end of the passage we just saw in 1 John, he ends with righteousness is over here, okay? It's not about Sin, when we get into the light, our focus and obsession is not that. It's about righteousness and it's Christ. And he says, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out, how? In God. 
It's now a focus on God. Again, where am I? It's not about me. It's Christ. It's God. It's my Father. It's this category here. So, how do we conclude? May we walk in the light as he himself is in the light. The one who says he abides in him, that's what he said, abide in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Well, how are we going to know what manner in which he walked, how he walked? Once again, let's look intently as we can at this reflection of him. We do not see him clearly yet, but we have a really good reflection. We have the word, okay? We have each other. We have the Holy Spirit to teach us. We need to see Jesus. We need to see him clearly. We need to let him transform our lives so the righteousness will increase and sin will decrease. So today, let's see him more clearly. Let's know him more fully and let's abide in him more completely. Now, our time of fellowship around the word is not over. I'm going to come down and sit with you in fellowship. We're going to play a song, and I ask that you listen to the words and that you pour your heart out to God, and you ask him and tell him that you, you want to see him. You want to see him more. You want to know him more, and you want to abide in him more.